Mr. Pop. Yeah, I'd have Yoko Ono in there for sure. I wouldn't interview her. You know who I'd interview. May Pang. Yoko's pussy. <laughs> this is Rock and Roll, your weekly shot of sport and music with Kevin Hillier, Brian Mannix, and Mark Fine. Hi, honey, I'm home, and welcome to Rock and Roll. I'm Kevin Hillier. He's Brian Mannix. I feel home alone. Oh, yeah. Are you, are you on your own? Well, if you're doing movie titles, I thought I'd do oh, one or one. Oh, okay. Otherwise, just when you thought it was safe to get back in the water. <laughs> uh, well, we need a bigger podcast, Chiefy, because we've got Finey as well. Hello, Mark Fine. Well, that, that's – I think we could win Segway of the Year with that. Beautifully done, Kim. Um, <laughs> hello. Hello, guys. I I cannot tell you how much I look forward to this every week, and I'm not being facetious. I'm not being sarky. I'm, I really enjoy catching up with you. And I had um, Steve Raitman, who's a great fan of the show. Oh, yes. He comes into the shop regularly and talks about what's on the program. I've got another couple of guys that come in. I don't know their names. They talk about the program, so I just want to thank all of our listeners as well. And one of them said, it sounds like you and Brian and Kevin are three just great mates. You must be fantastic mates. I said, I've never actually met Brian. (laughs) (laughs) Have I met you, Brian? Yeah, no, I think I Yeah, we met many, many, many times. We went on a holiday together. Oh, that was no holiday for me, Brian. It may, it may have been a holiday for you, but God knows it was no holiday for me. 1980, what was it? Was it 86, 87? Uh, Rack Island. And, and all we had to do was to do the Sunday morning show. Mm. And it was about 7 in the morning I think we had to start. And I think we did it by the pool, if I remember. Yes, we did. I have photographic evidence of that, of you painting uh, things on people's bodies by the pool. Well, yeah, that's right. And I can't remember whether it was the night before or the night after where we both got completely rat-faced. <laughs> <Or> man- <laughs> I don't remember you being anything but rat-faced for the entire time we were on the island. Uh- I all right, once the, the, the on-air light went on, I think we're okay then. Oh, no, we were fine for that. No, we were good for that. It was We, we were fine. Uh, we did get we did get some terse looks from our, our the third member of the uh, of the uh, on-air team, <laughs> Graham Simpson, a.k.a. Lester Parsons, who was less than impressed with anything we did um, uh, across the weekend. But anyway, we'll talk about that some other time. Um, <laughs> very good memories, though I must admit. Uh, now, look, lots to talk about. God, there's a lot going on. But I want to, I want to delve into your week first. Uh, the man who put fine into Lenny's Fine Foods has has things at the shop, has the renovations, has business. Now, are you? Tick, tick, and tick. In fact, tickety boo. Renovations are an amazing thing because for the first few weeks, it's all structural stuff and it's a lot of work, but you don't see a lot of change. And now it's all happening shelving, cabinetry, floors, painting. It's all on a, 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 a not gilding the lily here. Natalie has project managed this, budgeted this. We have had so many trades come in, ask to speak to me. That would be, it, it's just, it's laughable that they think that I've got anything to do with this. <laughs> she is 
so brilliant. What she has done, and I mean, once they once they understand who's running the show, you know, they are sort of jaw droppingly impressed. Not because she's a female, but because somebody who's not a professional builder has done this so meticulously. I'm talking about, in many cases, to the centimetre how things fit. She's she's quite a girl, my wife. Oh, good and, on her. Uh, and this will be a a living testament to her skill set, which is enormous. Yeah, good on her. Oh, well done. Because that can be that could have been a bloody nightmare, and it could have been something that could have you know uh, disrupted uh, not only the business but your personal life and uh, uh, your relationship between the two years, all that stuff. Absolutely, and and. When you've got so many trades relying on each other for deadlines, et cetera, and especially around this time of the year as things start to wind down, they try to take liberties and Nat is a ferocious taskmaster and they sort of, you know, almost to a they're man. Shitting they're shitting themselves funny, aren't they? Almost <laughs> to a man they've said, you know, they come in and then a new trade comes in and they start quoting, no, Natalie, Natalie won't, that, that won't wash with Natalie. And then the new trade goes, who's Natalie? And they go, don't, don't get the wrong side of her, believe me. So it's been a fantastic effort. Uh, good, good stuff. Hello, Mr Mannix. How's your week been, sir? Well, Ken, I'm struggling a bit this week. Um, I've had a bit of a shocker in a lot of ways um, and so I don't want to uh, – bore our listeners with my petty problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did on Saturday night, I went and saw the BG show with our friend Colin Peterson narrating certain parts of it and they had the big orchestra and, um, gee, they looked like them. They It sounded great. I'm not sure whether the orchestra was doing all of the orchestration. Um could be wrong, but anyway, it sounded terrific. I just felt that at a couple of times there wasn't enough smile and smile. You know that ridiculous tremolo? Yep. There was a bit of that, but I thought, no, you're just singing this now, fellas. Come on, get the tremolo back in there. But, Maybe um, it's the way Robin should have sung a lot of those songs because that was the one thing that I always – if there was one thing about the BGs that always grated with me slightly, it was when he went into super, super tremolo mode. Yeah, but you know, if you go to a BG show, that's what he did. So, but that was good because they didn't play all of every song. They'd play, you know, like a minute and a half, two minutes, and then get into the next one. Yeah, good. And that was good because you know you hear how can you mend a broken heart? By the time you've got to the second chorus, you've got you've got the idea. Now let's fit another one in because, gee, they've got a lot of songs. Oh, yeah, God. When you start back at, um, you know, Spicks and Specks and then go through all all the uh, nights on Broadway and all those, the pre-Saturday um, Night Fever stuff, there's a, a million songs in there, great songs, to love somebody and all those songs. And then you get to the disco stuff and then you go past that disco era into into the sort of uh, late 90s, uh, sort of 90s, 2000s. Bloody hell. Yeah, and the other thing was that at schoolies up here, you could barely fit into my bottle shop because they'd had 18 pallets of vodka cruiser arrive. <laughs> and then I noticed you guy buy bucket of shots for oh. 20 bucks and there's 16 all sorts of alcoholic shots at 14%. 
So I bought two of them. Me and Casey came back from the BG show at about, I uh, know it was daylight, spoke meant it was 2.30 in the morning. Um, we thought, well, we'd better have a couple of shots. Yeah. And so we did. So that was the highlight of the week. There you go. And my highlight of the week, I I, uh, I worked on the radio today. I'm doing a couple of weeks of uh, afternoons on uh, on Bay ninety three point nine. Today, uh, two hours of nineteen eighty five. Guess what I played? I'd like to think you would have played one of mine. Kev. I did. I played one of yours. I played one of Scotty Carnes. I played one of uh, the late great James Brad. Freud's. I played one of I- NXS. I played one of everybody today. Oh, good on you! Yeah. That sounds terrific, show. Well, it was good. It was it was actually good. It was because there was a little patch just in the middle of this little feature that they're doing it where they've gone through each year of night of the nineteen eighties, and I've got eighty five through to uh, eighty nine, which are four five really good years. Um, and I had a little patch in the middle where I was actually able to play all Australians in a row, and it was bloody good to hear in excess into the models, into you, yeah. um, into kids in the kitchen. It was really good. Really good. I just it sort of gave me that little that thing again where you go, bloody hell, we've done some really good music in this country, and I don't think bugger the arias and all that stuff. I don't think we pat ourselves on the back sometimes about some of the and the Bee Gees is another one. Some of the people that we've bought through and uh, and have made records in this com- country, um, just you know, bloody hell, really good, really talented people. And what time is that on from? <clears throat> I'm doing three to seven. All right. Well, three to six in the shop tomorrow is ninety three point nine. Beautiful. And the eighties, nineteen eighty six from uh, from four o'clock till six. So, well, that's good. I've got no idea what I'm playing, but you know, it'll be good. It'll be good. And it sounds like they're letting you be a little bit creative, Kev. Oh well, yeah, they're within the bounds of you know the the formats of the radio station. I'm I'm playing around a little bit. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, that's good. We did a completely remixed version of uh, 50 Years and turned it Where Will We Be in 38 Years? But, you know, you'll never know that. Oh, look, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a keen listener to uh, Bay 95. I, well, if you had it been, you would have heard me say at uh, five to four, I said, we're just going to, we just got Brian in the back room doing a re- reworking on the lyrics. Uh, we mm-hmm. hope he can come up with something that sounds remotely like Where Will We Be in 38 Years? So it's. Uh. So. Just knocking around. It's good. Very good. Been good fun. All right, let's talk about the World Cup. Obviously, dominates um, the uh, the sporting landscape. We won. How about that, Finey? That was. I watched every ball. That was a masterclass in planning. Excellent captaincy. Determination. Um, spirit. Let's let's not the final margin looks comfortable. Seven wickets or, or about nine overs. It looks like a dotted. Both innings started poorly for Australia. They got off to a flyer. When when Rohit Sharma was just creaming the ball through the offside off the back foot and Virat Kohli was just leaning into that cover drive, they, they looked like they were just getting boundaries at will. So that catch by Travis Head. I mean that was super sense. match changing. It was sensational. Cummins brought himself. Got the job done. Yeah, I mean, Cummins brought himself on, bowled beautifully. Then that period where he was giving everybody one over, it seemed confusing. Well, if it was confusing to the viewer, it was obviously confusing to the batsmen because they couldn't, you know. I mean, when people talk about Travis 
Travis Head's magnificent game, that fantastic innings and brilliant catch. He also bowled two neat little overs that went for four runs in that period when Mitch Marsh was bowling, Zampa, Maxwell, very clever stuff, not letting them settle into any type of rhythm against any particular bowler. I just thought, you know, you're, you're playing a team that's won 10 in a row that beat you comfortably in the first game in front of 125,000 parochial fans with some of the best batsmen in the world, no question. To win that game was just amazing. I, I, I loved every minute of it. Yeah, I did watch it all. I went to bed when uh, after Head got his 100. I thought we've won it now and I couldn't keep my eyes open and had a big day of work today, so didn't watch all of it. But uh, I agree with you 100%. Uh, and hats off to uh, to Ronnie McDonald, the coach, um, because yeah. I, I'm, I'm assuming that he and Daniel Vittori and uh, and George Bailey were the masterminds behind that and, 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 and Cummins had to hold his metal on the ground and not panic, not change it, stick to what they'd decide to do and if he made he had to call it an audible and make a change he did um yeah it was it was it was a testament to um working out where they could get underneath the indian skin and where they could uh, uh exploit uh, the way india plays the arrogance with which india plays and they they exploited yeah. that just bloody beautifully it was really really clever and i've got, I've got I to got, say i think i think i might be beating brian to the punch here but I actually watched the first innings downstairs on TV and then I came upstairs in bed and watched it on my phone with the headphones on. And I don't think I've enjoyed head in bed quite like that before, but it's fantastic. Brian nearly got there earlier in the uh, earlier in the segment. Yeah, go on, Brian. Um, I, can't, I kind of felt a little bit sorry for India because they were clearly the best team in this competition and then – We've just pulled out a blinder when it mattered and they perhaps haven't been totally top of their game and they lose. It was a bit like Essendon in 1999. It was clearly the best team of the year, but then just something goes wrong at the end and bang, you don't win it. And um, Bulldogs and St Kilda in 97 were the best teams of the year, but at the right time the Crows come in and win it. And I just felt sorry for them. But obviously, wrapped that um, we won, and I think we can add another name to our all Australia, our world team. We've got De Kock, Root, Head, Cummins. <coughs> right. Uh, I was uh, I was really impressed. I must admit, I think I think I agree with that. I think India are the, are the most talented bunch of cricketers. Um, uh, Bumra, Shami. Uh, or Shami, or however you want to pronounce it, um, uh, they're the two best fast bowlers running around at the moment. God, they're good. <laughs> they're just terrific. Um, and there's not many blokes in the world who hit the ball better than Rohit Sharma. Um, yeah. Coley's sensational. Um, is it Shreyas, the uh, the one who came in at number four? He goes Shreyas all right. Um, the the yeah. other opener goes, okay. They've got a very, very good team, but uh, they, yeah. were, they were a little rattled. Well, here's the problem. Now, easy in hindsight. So you, you ask yourself, how does India lose a game like that? Well, look, it was a great toss to win. People didn't expect Australia to uh, put India in, but, of course, that due was a big factor. So yep. they knew about that. So that was clever. But this is with hindsight. And, of course, it could play out, pardon me, very differently. But 
There is a danger, and it has happened before in tournaments, when a team's upper order is so dominant as India's has been, if you can get into that upper order as Australia did, the problem is that from um, Surya Kumar Yadav, or Sky as they call him, downwards, no one had batted. Now, that's two months without batting. That's a problem. And and Yardav, who is an enormous hitter, I think he's got a. Does he have a Test three hundred or something to his name? I think he yeah, does. Yeah, something like or that. First class three. Yeah. Well, he he just never got going, but he hasn't batted in the whole tournament. So, and and Jadeja as well. Hang on, hasn't Jadeja's he scored four fifties? Hasn't he scored four fifties? No, no, he'd only scored a hundred. His biggest score had been thirty nine not out. Okay. Um. So. Uh, Ayer had scored 450. Oh, yeah, sorry, yes, him, yeah, number four. But below (laughs) Shreya's Ayer, there just hadn't been any batting. And do you know, I mean, I've never, this this is sort of counterintuitive because I've always felt that you need specialist teams for 2020-50 over cricket and test cricket. But do you know the Indian team? There's only one test player that wasn't in that team. That's their test 11, except for Pajara, obviously <laughs> not a one-day player. Oh, the number three batsman, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, Chetawa Pajara, the yep. slow batsman. And the bloke that's injured, the all-rounder who's injured, who didn't play in this, he's in their test team too. Is it Pandic? Pandic? Pandy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Jack. But, 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 but um, in Australia, that's nine of our test team. Really, uh, it's only Inglis and Zampa that aren't in the test team. Maxwell, yeah, okay, yeah, Maxwell. And Marsh is Marsh is not a regular in the test team. Oh, he's in the test team now. Yeah, at the moment, uh, well, it's either yeah, him or Cameron Green, so it'd be one of those two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's Maxwell for Green, and and I reckon that might change. I mean, he's such a draw card. Why wouldn't you play him in a test match? I mean, you know, Maxi is great. I just think you play him anywhere. Yeah, um, me too. But the bowlers and that top order batting lineup, that's the Australian test team. I mean, Inglis for Carey, six of one, half a dozen of the other, doesn't really change the structure. Zampa for Lyon, and there's your test team. Yeah. I mean, it just it's sort of counterintuitive as to but most of those limited over teams were very New Zealand was very similar to their test team, South Africa. So it's quite interesting that it's 2020 is different, but there is a lot of t- Best batting in a one-day game. Yeah, and there's also also a lot of blokes hung on to play in the World Cup, and now they probably won't won't play any more one-day cricket uh, internationally after this World yeah, Cup. Pro- yeah, probably. But yeah. but Labuschagne and Rahul showed that there's certainly a period of the fifty-over game where you need a test-type batsman, don't particularly you? if you're in trouble, particularly if you lost a couple of wickets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, good insurance. You yeah. know, I mean, much more comfortable the way it panned out. And very interesting interview with Lava Shane after the game. At 10 o'clock last night, he didn't know if he was playing or not. He still thought there was a, a very good chance he'd go with Stoinis. Oh, okay. so, so, you know, it was a definitely went down to the wire. Well, when you're three for 47, weren't you happy that Lava Shane was coming in? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Um, and, and can I just say, God, the commentary annoyed me last night. It really, for some reason, got up my nose last night. Matty Hayden was annoying the hell out of me, and I I'm, I love Matty Hayden, but he was he was over the top. 
and uh, and Mark Howard, I don't know what what fizzy drink he was on, but oh God! You see, I did I didn't watch that commentary. Uh, oh, was there different commentators on Nine? I was on Fox. No, 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 no. Foxtel had the whole game commentated in Hindi. Oh, okay. <laughs> Maybe I should have watched that. Um, we'll on five oh five. Hindi's funny because every now and then, you know, have you heard people speak Hindi? Not, not, so that, I'm, I can, I'm, not that I can recall. So I'm I love it. Rude here. I'm not trying to be rude here, but it's interspersed with English. So I was watching quite a bit of it, and it was like. I don't know, but there's other left and right hand combination of big over the top shot, but you know, every <laughs> every third phrase is in English. Oh, I should have watched that. Would have been better. It wouldn't have got me uh wouldn't have got me annoyed. And and the camera the cameras keep cutting back to what has now become like the player's box with all the it looks like the bloody Wimbledon, uh, you know, uh, in the tennis when they keep cutting to the girlfriends all the time. Give yeah, that, yeah, give that a bloody rest, will you? Well, and also, and also, the nine Australian fans that were there, I now know them. <laughs> I think they should have got appearance money. Yeah, I reckon they might have. The guy, the guy in the Port Adelaide jumper. Yeah, the Port Adelaide guy. <laughs> he was having a good time. He'll be the group, um, of, the group of older Australians, it, and then there was a little group with what seemed to be a couple of Indian Australians. The Port Adelaide bloke will be doing. He'll be hosting Talking Footy on Channel Seven next year. So look, look yeah. out for him. There you go. Yeah, All right, so well no, done. it was great. A great win by the Aussies. Well done. Exceptionally Get well done. <laughs> now, footy, uh, AFLW. No. 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 I thought we're done with the AFLW segment. Oh. <laughs> Crack the sads because you didn't get any winners. I think I've, I think I've, in this, in this neck and neck race, I think I've necked myself. No, you know, you're <laughs> still in. You're still on the podium. Oh God. Well, there's only well, three. There's only three in it. Yeah, correct. Yeah, Thanks, I'm Thanks Brian. I'm not playing Great. <laughs> well, you're on the same level of the podium as Brian is. Mm. Because when we went into last week's. That's humiliating. Yeah, you and I finally were equal, and uh, Brian was one behind. Brian picked up Adelaide, which you and I missed because yeah. we both went for Sydney. So uh, Brian got that one. Then you both went for Melbourne, and I went for the Cats, who caused the upset of the AFL season just about, um, beating the reigning premiers. So the wash-up is one for Kev to take him to 57, none for Finey to keep him on 56, and one for Brian to take him to 56. So with uh, three oh games to go. I like with Whoa. Brian. It's neck and neck. <laughs> Brisbane Lions it. and the Cats Saturday night up at Brighton Homes Arena in Brisbane. Who are you tipping, yeah. Brian? The Mighty Lions for me, Kevin. The Lionesses. That's it. I suppose they'll be called. I'm going for the Cats. I've been on them the whole way through. Uh, I've got to interview a couple of the girls from the Cats. They're really nice girls. They're re- There's a couple of them are just terrific. Um, so I hope they, they get up. Uh, and I'm working on a Geelong radio station at the moment. So. Yeah, look at you defending your afternoon slot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Michaela Bowen and I have become quite close. Now, uh, who are you going for, Finey? Brisbane. Yes. They, uh, they certainly. So if, Bris- if Brisbane win. Is that the first game of the of the two? Yep. We'll be we'll all be equal. Yep. Otherwise, you'll be off to the races. But right, and then the oh, other game. It's going to be exciting. <laughs> the other <laughs> game on Sunday. Try not to do a mark out on me, will you? Um, the other <laughs> the game on Sunday is North Melbourne and Adelaide at Icon Park at three o five on Sunday afternoon. I've been on North Melbourne all year, and I'm staying with them. Brian, North Melbourne or Adelaide? 
Where's Icon Park, Kev? That's, uh, that's Princess Park, mate. Carlton's ground. Carlton's ground. And who's playing again? Uh, North Melbourne are playing Adelaide. It's going to be tough for the Crows, but I'm going to go with the Crows. Adelaide. Righto, Fanny. So you've gone for North, he's gone for Adelaide. Oh, yep. this is sexy. This is, oh, my God. <laughs> there are people, there are, there, there are betting agencies who have 25 staff members on, on standby right at this second to wait and see the casting vote here from Finey. You see, if, if, if I go for Adelaide, then Brian and I stay on the same score. Yes, which could put, you could actually be one ahead of me by then if both of mine fall yeah, over. Correct. Yeah. If I go for North. <laughs> Heat. If I go for North, Brian could end up being ahead of me. Yes, he could. <laughs> so you're picking the winner, or you're defending your uh, your yeah, position? Yeah, I don't know what I don't know what I want to do. I don't, know <laughs> I, I don't know what's the biggest, what's more important, winning the competition or not getting beaten by Brian. It's like, <laughs> do I go for the honour or do I avoid the disgrace? Oh, hang on. We'll just do, we'll see who wins the toss. Here we go. There you go. All right. I mean, no it has guts, been a fantastic tipping competition. This has been very exciting. I think no I'm guts, no go glory, Fonny. Huh? No guts, no glory. I'm going to go for North Melbourne. Stop Whoa. <laughs> oh. Brian could be out on his own in front. He could. I strongly doubt it. Strongly, strongly doubt it. There you go. So they exciting stuff. Good right games. The good games, and they've uh, they've actually had some exciting games uh, for the final series. So that's uh, that's been uh, good. Uh, and now in uh, in footy news uh, from the men's side of the uh, the football world, uh, the fixture. Oh, don't talk about the bullshit men's part. Can we get back to the AFLW where the action is? No, we're going to talk about the fixture. Have you had a look at the fixture? Yeah, I thought it was last year's fixture. I saw we're playing Hawthorne round one again. Well, round, there's about three round ones, I think. There's a, a round one that f- uh, 14 teams aren't involved with and there's a round one where oh, all okay. the teams are in. Round zero? What the hell's that about? Oh, I don't, I've got, they're trying – it's some uh, AFL trickery to try and gazump the NRL who will actually be in Las Vegas playing that weekend, I think. Um and so they thought it'd be really clever to have some games, particularly in the northern states, um, to take advantage of that. I don't think any rugby league fans are going to be running off to watch um, an AFL game if their team's playing in Vegas. I don't get it. They're jumping to chat as the AFL. They don't want us to watch the rugby league so that we'll watch football. But it's kind of pathetic, isn't it, in that, you know, they just can't let another sport dominate for a week or two. You know, even when the cricket season's fully on, you've got these big stories in the Herald Sun, Hollywood captain gets new tracksuit pants. <laughs> and then that's more important than the cricket. I think they actually yes. do give them two. They give they give two sports a go. They give, uh, they give <laughs> cricket um, Boxing Day, they give them that week, and they give the tennis uh, a week. Uh, where they won't interfere with that, and that's it. The rest of the other 50 weeks of the year, it's AFL, AFL and AFL. And most of the stories about AFL during this part of the year, they're not worth breeding anyway. Well, uh, tomorrow will be what happens tonight in the draft and uh, the 20 or 30 new kids who, who are on lists after tonight. So that's that's a, a, valid, a valid story, but then... They milk. They milk the draft for three days, four days. 
But even that's as boring as batshit because you don't know who these kids are. We've drafted Danny Dundee. Well, what's Danny Dundee? Who the hell's this guy? Oh, he played for the Western Jets and he's a good nuggety midfielder. Well, no, 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 no it's not that, Brian. It's with pick number 17, Essendon have drafted Riley Grant. Now, he's a, <laughs> he's a combination, I'll often they do this. Mm. He's a combination of Paddy Dangerfield. And a bowl of special fried rice. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I just love when they, they, they say, you know, he reminds me of a Bontem Pelly. Really? So why have he gone at 17? He should he, he, he should be number one, shouldn't he? They I love it. They say, you know, he's very much like is he really? He's a I Robert, he's a Robert Harvey type. Yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> Robert Harvey, but he's got the pace. He's got the pace of Betty Cuthbert. <laughs> and the eyebrows of Bob Hawke. Yeah, exactly. They don't get into that stuff, which is the all-important stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like who cares? Like you don't know. what You know, yeah. if you're real diehard, fine, but, you yeah. know, yeah. let's see how they develop. Don't put pressure on the kids. Let's get them in the team and see how they go. Yeah, I mean, I remember I used to cover it on SEN and I'd, I'd come back and I'd go, you know, try and take the piss out of all those predictions. And I'd say, <laughs> oh, pick number, thir- pick number 37 is um, Ty Bletz. Now, the problem with him is that from my understanding, only one player with only one vowel in his name has ever played <laughs> more than 50 games of league football. <laughs> So I think they're taking a big risk on the name. <laughs> no, but, I agree with you. It's, you, could have, you could have a really good one, take the piss out of the whole thing. Yeah. And, uh, Geelong pick number 13 is a rehabilitated alcoholic called uh, Darcy Walsh. And Darcy, as known by many from his appearances on Crime Stoppers, <laughs> has also given up the angel dust and is expected to put in a great preseason. <laughs> Darcy, Darcy's been picking up speed, but unfortunately, it's not the one that the uh, recruiters were hoping that he was. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah, they uh, they just it, it is it's 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 different to the American system because they're all twenty one and twenty two year olds who are coming out of four or five years of college, um, either basketball yeah, right. or whatever. They're grown-up men. These are kids. These are still kids. These are eighteen-year-olds. There's no comparison between this and the and the American draft. It's just bloody well, well, you've seen the the American kids play college basketball yeah. on TV, huge. So yeah, oh, yeah, this guy. Yeah, I hope the Bulls get him. But you know, we don't see what these guys have done before. Just get a little paragraph. Oh, he's as you say, he's like Peter Hudson with. One knacker. You're pulling. You know. You're pulling a kid out of Notre Dame or or the University of Texas or Alabama or somewhere who's had you know four years in a university system that's like a bloody city, um, mm. and has been and has had life experiences that uh, you're plucking a kid out of uh, you know the back of Hopper's Crossing where he's played uh, seven games and been down to you know the further he's been to play football as Tassie once on a under sixteen trip or something. It's just so totally different. I remember. I remember once. Once. In the NFL draft, the number one pick was a. They thought he was a quarterback from Notre Dame. Turned out to be a hunchback. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good, funny. 
<laughs> um, Very good. You know, you, there, there is one thing in the oh, draft, though. You know, you, you sort of see the players and you get told, you know, he's a strong-bodied midfielder and you know you're going to probably see him next year if he's up in the top ten picks and the club is going to. But then, you know, later on you pick a player, next player being picked is, um, you know, Steve Graham. He's 208 centimetres and 78 kilos. And you know that that player, ain't, you're hoping you're going to be alive when he makes his debut. <laughs> and then you know, they, they, take some of those, they take some of those future ruckmen and you think, how how's a kid six foot nine and he weighs 10 kilos less than me? Yes, it is a bit yeah. ridiculous. And and they've, uh, they've stuffed up the rookie draft to the point now where the rookie draft is just promising blokes have already been on your list and not quite made it, that you'll redraft them. Most of the rookie oh, draft not, is, is not that. exactly. Oh, most of it is, uh, from what I can see, from I mean, what's some, coming up. Well, oh. some, of it, some of it is, but if, so, so you know last year St Kilda had two All-Australians in the team and one nominated All-Australian, you know, in the, in the squad. Yeah. Do you know who those three players were? Uh, off the top of my head, I can't, uh, can't remember the names. So in the team was Callum Wilkie and... And um, Jack Sinclair. Yep. And Rowan Marshall was nominated and missed out. All three rookie listed players at some stage. All three, all three rookies. Yeah. So I, I reckon not that's... rookie listed. Not rookie listed. They were drafted. They weren't rookie listed. They were all three were rookie selections. Yeah. One no. Was picked, no but... Marshall was picked from North Ballarat. Wilkie from the Sandful and Jack Sinclair missed out on the draft proper, and we picked him up in the rookie draft. Yeah, and that and that that was happening. It's not happening as much now because they've changed the parameters. Not the, they haven't changed the parameters, but they've allowed a lot more of that re-dipping um, to yeah, happen yeah. than they yeah, did yeah. before. Uh, yeah, yeah, I actually, I actually am more interested in the rookie draft than I am in the general draft because I think the way they package it. Is, is so much better. You got Daddy Minogue all glammed up and she comes down. There's three rookies. She's got two roses. And then she says, you know, Cameron, you're a great ruckman. You know, I'd like you to offer you this rose. And, you know, of course, one guy gets taken away in the limousine, never to be seen again. But uh, I think it's just a better presentation of the whole selection process. Rookie did first sight. <laughs> Rookie did first Could sight. Could be. I, I, I can give you one draft tip. Yes. And it's, I think it, I'm pretty sure it's Hawthorne. Uh, they'll be drafting... Um, in a couple, in about a, in a few days' time, I'm pretty sure they'll be drafting a bloke by the name of Chewbacca. And why would that be? <laughs> oh, he, he's they'll pick him up in the Wookie draft. Wookie <laughs> drafts. <laughs> You're on fire tonight, funny. He's on fire, the old funny. Uh, the other thing I, I want to mention, uh, Damien Oliver. That's that's it for D Oliver as uh, far as riding in in Victoria. I think he's got a few rides. He's going to. Fulfill in WA um, to finish off his career, just to put the the full stop on uh, on what's been just an outstanding career. Just a lovely, lovely bloke uh, to to deal with uh, from a media perspective and anything I've ever had to do with Damien. He's always been terrific, and I'm I'm pleased that uh, that he's got out when he has. 
Um, obviously, you'll have a, a very long and uh, and healthy and uh, and lucrative life in the in the future. So good on him. Well, Great, he's, just, he's just booked in after his last race to go to an all-you-can-eat yum chart. <laughs> oh, that is so funny you should say that because I was about to tell you my Damien Oliver story. All right. What's your Damien Oliver story? Well, we had, you know, obviously you in the latter years of your time, of our time at SEN, PH, pre-Huxley, or you know what that period's now We're known. Good. You know, You know, you know what that period's now known. Uh, no, I, I, I'm hoping, hoping you're going to tell me. Oh, it's, it's known as SEN NB or PB, sorry. SEN pre-bankrupt. Yes, that's yes, um, correct. Um, so I used to do quite a bit at the Spring Carnival. Yeah. And I know you you in latter years did a great job there with KB and, and, and the crew and Turfy, et cetera. Yep. Anyhow, so it was just after the Cox Plate and – I was actually there and with Gilbo and with Rick Show and, you know, Jason Richardson and a few other people. Anyhow, you know, a few few festivities afterwards and, and I don't know how it happened. We, a group of us went out to dinner, including Damien Oliver, to Japanese. Now, I'll tell you this. If you expected, and he was right in the middle of the spring carnival, he ate like a frozen beef. Really? But it was Japanese and it was the sushi and sashimi, so obviously you can neck a bit of raw fish and get away with it. But afterwards, Gilbo and I was were joking. It was like going, it was like going out with a with a walrus because he ate that much fish. <laughs> but I guess, I guess raw fish is pretty good for you. Yeah, there you go. Well, it's something you can burn off, and it, uh, it uh, yeah, uh, good on him though. He's a, he is a ripping bloke, D. Oliver. Yeah. A lot of time for it. Yeah. A lot of time for it. Um, and the well, other one, the other one I want to I want to mention uh, no, Brian Yulby, uh, the Peter Hitchener they've um, they've moved him from the weeknight slot reading the news now and he'll just be doing the weekends. Well, okay. Well, he's you know what is he seventy six or something? Something like that, I think. Yeah, still doing a great, still doing a great job, and you know, um, you know, I, I'm I'm sure Pete, it, no, you know, is great friends as we are with Pete, Kev. Um, I think you'd be quite magnanimous about that and might even enjoy the fact that I've got a bit more time for myself. Yeah. Well, that's it. That's And pretty much that's exactly what he said publicly. There's a lot of people trying very hard to turn this into a a really bitchy kind of uh, story, but he seems to be uh, publicly at least very happy about uh, keeping his hand in, doing weekends and still being part of the team and obviously, as you say, having some time to do the things he wants to do at 76 or 77 years of age. Well, good on you, Pete, and thank you to Vinnie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe he could be the head of Optus. Uh, there's a vacancy there. Is there he'll, have, way, he'll, he'll have to put pants on during the week now. <laughs> yes, he will if he wants to go out anywhere. Uh, famously, <laughs> a lot of newsreaders didn't wear long pants. They just had shorts on or all sorts yep. of things. Bruce Mansfield used to have a cut up the back of his coat because it was because they wanted to. Did you sit. say cut? Yeah, he used to sit in a certain way. Thank God! Oh my God! Thank yeah. God! <laughs> and so he used to have a big slit up the back of his uh, back of his jacket. Apparently. All right. Okay. All right. Oh, enough. Okay. Enough. Okay. Enough. Okay, sorry. I don't want This vulgarity has to end. Just working a bit blue tonight, boys. You know how it is. Uh, Brian, you know what it's time for? 
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to tonight's episode of The Destalizer. And uh, from American politics, Rosalind Carter, the uh, wife of uh, Jimmy Carter, first lady, of course, uh, passed away at the age of 96. Soaked on a peanut. A, um, <laughs> she was married to a peanut. <laughs> was, wasn't he a peanut what? farmer? Hey? He was a peanut farmer. Yeah. Um, do, you know, do you know who's the happiest bloke in America at the moment, despite this tragedy? Now, don't be crass, Brian. I'm not going to be crass, but, you know, I love listening to Donald Trump. He goes, the happiest man in America at the moment is Jimmy Carter because now compared to this president, he looks like he had a brilliant presidency. Oh. He's one of the time greats because just – because Biden's worse than Jimmy Carter was as a president. Oh, there you go. All right. Uh, Jimmy Carter's dead. Is, is Jimmy Carter dead? No, no. Jimmy Carter's still with us. Yeah. He's not. He'd be ninety-seven or thereabouts, I would think. And he's in a wheelchair. And there's a video game. If you get on YouTube, you go. Donald Trump plays GTA Five or whatever, and they've got a Donald Trump. You know, it's like the video game. But some guy's doing the voice of Donald Trump and he's, you know, arresting people and just taking charge of things. And then in one episode, Jimmy Carter's in a wheelchair following her. They go, Jimmy, come on, come on, Jimmy. It's very, very funny. Um, Just look up Donald Trump plays and it's very funny. And Jimmy Carter features. Okay. Uh, James Davern died. He was in his 90s. I don't actually say how old he was. He was the man who was behind uh, television shows in this country like Bell Bird and A Country Practice. He was a writer, producer, director, uh, all of those things. Um, uh, Order of Australia that he got and uh, was also in the Logie Hall of Fame. So he passed away. He was his name. You would have seen his name every night on A Country Practice and Bell Bird and all those. as uh, the major creative force behind those shows. Um, Josh. Ackland died. Now, he is the English actor who was in Lethal Weapon 2, uh, the baddie in Lethal Weapon 2, the South African. He played the South African in Lethal Weapon Oh, yeah. Um, he was also in some Pet Shop Boys videos. He, did, he had a fabulous career as, as an actor and was in some really, really good films with Olivier and all those all those British actors. But um, he was in The Mighty Ducks, amongst other things. Um, but he... He said one of the quotes that I saw today was uh, he passed away at the age of 95, uh, was that he was most unfortunate that he was in the Pet Shop Boys video for Always On My Mind. He only did it because his grandkids liked the Pet Shop Boys. They so said, oh, right, then I'll, I'll do the clip. So he, so he did the clip. He's a very, very good actor. When you see his face, you go, oh, yes, Lethal Weapon too. I remember him. He played the fat kid in The Mighty Ducks, didn't he? No, I, don't, I, just, I don't know what he played in the Mighty Ducks. Can't remember. Uh, and Pete Solly passed away at the age of seventy-five. Now, a record producer and uh, and musician in, in his own right. Um, but here in Australia, he came out here and uh, it was a pom and uh, produced and became very very good friends with Joe Camilleri. Um, produced the early JoJo Zepp stuff, Hit and Run, uh, Taxi Ride, all those things. Produced the last. Joe Camilleri album, which Brian, you and I talked to Joe about um, about a year ago, I think, when we we chatted to Joe yep. on Life of Brian, um, St George Gates, I think it's called that album. 
Um, so Pete Solvig produced that. He produced the sports, but he produced Peter Frampton. Uh, he, he was he was in a couple of bands, um, uh, the crazy world of Arthur Brown, and a few things. But he passed away at the age of uh, seventy five. And a really lovely tribute uh, I read today that uh, the Joe Camilleri had written about. Uh, Pete as a producer and uh, and also as, a, as a, just a great mate. They became great mates. He was the producer they bought over, uh, I think Mushroom bought over, to to do the JoJo Zip album and and Joe didn't want him. And uh, I don't think they talked for the first day and then they kind of had to and they finished up being, uh, being great mates. Um, and he obviously made, you know, some terrific records with Joe. So, uh, oh, yeah. So that's uh, – and that's it, Brian. Close her up. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes tonight's episode of The Desert Life. Beautifully done. See, what we'll do with you, Brian, like Peter Hitchener, when uh, we'll just move you into the Deathalyzer segment and that'll be it. You won't do the front of the show or the back of the show. Just move you as we, you know, into the Deathalyzer segment. Bang. You're, in, you're trying to and- improve the rankings, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> and you can get your pants off. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's pretty hard, I tell you what. I'm oh. up on the podcast. You should have seen me at the casino. Whoa. Is that where the BG that, show was, the casino? Yeah. But um, it was actually kind of funny. Um, after the show, you know, I met there with Casey, my daughter, and um, oh, a couple of other people from the show. But I think, you know, I was saying to my mate P.O., I was saying, look, if you want to pull a babe, P.O., just stay at home, drink till about 11.30, get the tram down to the casino because when you get there, all of the girls that haven't been able to pull, they're just desperate to be pulled and you just stand around and they all come up to you. Is that what happened to you? Yeah. I got engaged. But, like, we broke off in about five minutes, which didn't work out too well. But, um, no, look, I, oh, look, what I'm really saying is that, the girls were very friendly at about 12.30, 1 o'clock at the Star City Casino up here. And um, for single guys on the Gold Coast, I would recommend don't get there at 8 o'clock. Get there at midnight, have a few drinks at home, save the money, and just stand around and look happy and who knows what could happen. Goodness me. That concludes Brian's tips for chips. <laughs> Dating it's advice weird. from Brian Mannix of the Gold Coast. <laughs> That's bloody dangerous. Now, finally, before we get to our topic for this week, which is uh, we're talking about people you want to interview, this week the three women you want to interview and next week the three men, um, you got a new tat. you got a scorpion. I did. Beautiful, beautiful old school scorpion. And the main reason I got it. Is because of the tattooist. He's a legend in Australia. He's had a book written out in known worldwide. Nobody has been tattooing continuously for longer than John Entwistle. And and he's a famous name. He works in a out of a little um terrace house on Punt Road, right opposite the MCG. Um he's famous, he's used to be one of the three famous tattooists down on Flinders Street, Flinders Street Station, down under the station in the arcade there, I think. Or yeah, just next, next to the next arcade. To, it was near the Milliners there on the on the outside. Yeah, yeah. I think. yeah, it was good. I remember that. I do remember the tattoo parlor there. Yeah, and he's it was re- it was so beautiful. You go to a modern tattoo joint, and 
they've got all the modern whiz bang stuff. He makes his own tattoo guns and sells them around the world. So I can load that up, and then in the modern tattoo parlors, you, you've got to put your this is down on near my ankle. You got to put your leg up on a you, you're on a a bench or a cat, you know, one of those. You load it up, and you he did it. I sat directly opposite him on a chair, and I put my leg up on his thigh, my foot up on his thigh, and he did it, you know, holding my holding my lower leg. Like the difference between uh, milking with a machine and hand milking. Yeah, correct, and it was it's such beautiful work. Like, couldn't be happier with it. In fact, so happy I'm going back next week for another. Oh, but um, but he's got an encyclopedic knowledge of music. We were talking about. You know, he loves um, uh, sort of country music, huge Hank Williams fan. Was telling me, played this singer similar to Dolly Parton, but Iris somebody, and she's got the most beautiful voice. Sings the last song in the Coen Brothers movie, True Grit. Um, Huge fan of um, all the old performers. Saw Johnny Cash live, saw Dolly Parton live. Knows all the band members and all the genealogy or whatever it is of that type of music. So, yeah, well worth having a chat to maybe on Life of Brian. Yeah, I was just going to say, we've never had a tattooist on Life of Brian. He might be an interest. John Entwistle, I mean, that's a famous name, obviously, for for musical reasons. Yeah, 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 that's right. I always wondered where the bass player of The Who went. There he is. Yeah, Yeah. but his nickname is Johnny Dollar, but he's just an absolute gentleman and a a real character. So now you said he's in his eighties. I think he might be early eighties. Yeah, wow. Well. Just, just trying to work out how long he's been tattooing. But I mean, if he is, he looks very good for it. Maybe seventies. I don't know. But yeah. he's super highly respected. I mean, and there's a beautiful book being written about him by Danny Young and, and another lady. Danny Young runs Frankston Tattoo, but it's a beautiful pictorial book. It also really paints the story of early tattooing. Or, in Melbourne, you know, it's a great, it, it's really transitioned, of course, tattooing from something that um, fairly rough young men would get to now being so omnipresent. But I love the history of it and I'm very honoured to have a Johnny Entwistle and he even initialed it for me, which was oh, very special. Oh, good. That's terrific. Well, we'll follow that up because I, I think he'd be a fascinating person to have a chat to. We'll, yeah. we'll get on to that. Uh, the current uh, life of Brian is up and about. Mark Holden has got no tattoos that I'm aware of, but by Jizzy tells some good stories. Um, in the latest edition of that, uh, very good. And while I'm doing a, an ad, the new uh, episode of uh, A Little Less Conversation, A Little More Elvis comes out this week too with uh, myself and Mark Andrew talking to Charles Stone, who was one of the inner sanctum of the Elvis Presley uh, gang. In fact, he was very, very, very close to Colonel Tom. So we'll uh, – have that for you later in the week. So there's the ads over. All right, now the topic is three women you'd like to interview. Now we left to interview. Finally, he was just oh. talking. About, thought he missed the whole point that he was talking about a bloke, and I'm thinking this is a terrible number three. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, so so now I left it. I didn't. I didn't specify when I sent the text to you, blokes, whether the person uh, the, the, they could be dead or alive. So I didn't say. Do live ones or dead ones? So it was entirely left to your uh, sort of devices which way you went with it. How did you, how did you go with it, Finny? Tim Pickings. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> yeah, I think I've got 
I think I've got some interesting ones. Beautiful. Uh, Brian? Um, yeah, I've picked, I've picked three women for different reasons um, and I'll tell you what reason I picked them for as we go. One of them is no, no longer with us but, um, yeah, I sort of – I haven't just sort of gone for the same kind of thing, same thing, That's I apologise, ladies, uh, same kind of – you know, motive for why I picked this, so I'll explain that as we okay. go. Finally, start us off with, uh, and I, I'll, I'll say this for my my ones. They're not. I don't have a one, two, and a three. The, they're three that could be any one of them could be number one or number two or number three. Um, they're just three. I heard it was six you wanted to root. That's what that That's was the word on the- exactly Man, not exactly not what we're talking about. <laughs> All right, oh. but if you want to see yeah. that list, Brian, I've got that one. No. Uh, fine. <laughs> All right. So, so it might be a bit controversial. I, I don't know. I'm not trying to be controversial. It's just how I'm going, how it's panned out. At number three, I've got Caitlin Jenner. Um, now, of course, mm-hmm. that in, in and of itself is unusual, but I have many, many questions that I would like to ask. Very interesting figure. Covers my, I mean, you know, I'd be very respectful. She's made a life choice, so I've, I certainly she she identifies as a woman. So just just explain, just explain who Caitlyn Jenner is for those who may not know how the dot points go here. Well, Caitlyn Jenner was Bruce Jenner, who was a very famous Olympic gold medalist in decathlon. I mean, really, I remember. Pardon. He was amazing. I watched a documentary and I couldn't believe how what a great athlete he was. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah like an amazing athlete. So I found the, the Danny Laidley story very interesting when I watched the documentary. Um, gender dysmorphia being in the wrong body. I mean, it's not – there's a lot of sniggering and laughing, but there's actually a really interesting story. So I thought if Danny Laidley's interesting, how about somebody who was – one point in time, arguably, arguably the greatest male athlete on the planet. Yeah, it's, it's a fair I mean, point. I mean, decathlon is is an amazing test of of skill and all different athletic pursuits, and from Daly Thompson through to, um, I think there was a Russian or somebody who was brilliant at it. Caitlyn Jenner, and of course, you also get all the Kardashian gossip, which, yeah. I, which I consider to be, to be absolute rubbish. So I would question him on that the the cult of personality, and so you get sport, you get the cult of personality, you get the, the gender dysmorphia, you get um, you get a lot of bang for your buck, and I think you'd have a, had a lot of interest of listeners. Yeah, yep. there's, there's certainly a lot. Of, there's certainly a lot of subject matter. Yeah, no doubt about that. Now, was was Bruce Jenner was in the was it the YMCA film? Which one of the Village People films was Bruce Jenner in? Yeah, that sounds. Can't right. stop the music. That's yeah, what. Yep, yeah, yeah, that sounds that. right. Yep, was that? Yeah, no, very interesting. All right, Brian, who's, who's your first cab off the rank here? Well, okay, my first one, and she's no longer with us, and I think she'd be very, very interesting to talk about uh, to talk to because. She made a lot of great movies and I just think – but I think I'm motivated largely here 
with this one because I want to meet her so I can maybe con her on and, you know, start dating her and stuff. But despite if that doesn't work, um, she'd still be really interesting to interview. And I'm saying Audrey Hepburn. Oh, I loved Audrey Hepburn. She'd be about my size. She's petite. She's got mano written all over her. <laughs> and despite that, uh, you could just ask her about the movies that she'd made and the people that she met. She'd be, you know, even if she didn't get a root out of it, Kev, um, she'd still be interesting conversation all through dinner. I, I have no doubt about that. I've, I've, I remember being in the back of my parents' car when they went to watch Breakfast at Tiffany at the drive-in somewhere in Melbourne. I don't remember where it was. Um, and uh, and seeing her, I just thought she was absolutely captivatingly beautiful. What a gorgeous, gorgeous-looking woman. Um, uh, I don't I don't know well, a lot about her life. I mural of her in my in my entrance. Yeah, yeah, that's right, Jeff. Too. No, you seen, you know, like I. Audrey every day, and um, she just seems to get more beautiful. But it's not just for her beauty. I could have said Pamela Anderson, I think she's beautiful, but she going to be boring after talk about not killing animals and shit. Audrey, I think, would be a much better conversation. So yep. there we go. Okay. Uh, my first <laughs> one is Barbara Streisand. I've, I've been long fascinated, what? long fascinated by her as a human being. I um, actually am a fan of her singing. Uh, uh, now I'm she did called Stony End, which would have been the late, uh, no, early 70s, I reckon, 73, 74, somewhere in there. Um, I think, might have been earlier than that. A lot of Laura Nairo songs on it that she sang. Um, it was more poppy album than, than a lot of the other um, stuff that she did. Um, uh, absolutely magnificent voice. Really interesting woman and a feisty woman and a, someone who I don't reckon would take any bullshit from anyone and I would, uh, I would dearly love it. She did an interview. She'd just done a book. And uh, I think she did one interview uh, for Australia uh, with um, the Sydney Breakfast duo, uh, Amanda Keller and Jonesy. Um, and I haven't heard it, but uh, I'd be because uh, she's uh, outrageously has hardly done any interviews in her in her life because she just doesn't doesn't do them. Um, but so uh, that would be one reason why I'd like to is because she doesn't do a lot of them, um, and she wouldn't have the you know usual kind of formulated answers to every question that you ask. But uh, I think she'd be fascinating. I, I think she was a really good actress. Um, she got a bit self-indulgent with some stuff, uh, I admit that. But, um, yeah, no, I think I think she'd, I think she'd be fascinating. So she's- Let me ask a couple of questions about that. Um, firstly, um, is she an attractive interview for you because, you know, she's just as likely to say, I'm terminating this interview and walking out. You know, as you say, she's very, very feisty. Um, is that an attraction for you as to no. why I mean, I get this out of her, but where others can't? No, it would, uh, there's the challenge of of, uh, of doing an interview that that she would deem to to be worth her time. That would be one. I it's, uh, certainly, I totally am against. Giving people questions before interviews, I I reckon that sucks the big one. I won't do that with anyone. I don't care who it is. Um, and if I do that, I if, if they insist on it, I'll I'll put how you're going today. Uh, you know what you have for breakfast, and then make a complete mockery of it. Um, because I, I I totally disagree with that I she might be one who asked for that. If that was the case, well, the interview wouldn't happen because I wouldn't do it. 
if that was would the you case. Ask, would you ask her a question like Ryan O'Neill or Robert Redford, one of those love movies that she was in, said, most difficult actress ever to work with. I just wanted to act and she wants to talk about our emotions for four hours before we can do the scenes. Would you go down that road? Yeah, I'd ask questions about her, her difficult demeanour with other people. Yeah, absolutely. I've asked, I've, asked, oh. I've asked plenty of people that over the years that, you know, you have a reputation for being difficult. Is that, is that in their eyes, in your eyes? How do you say, oh, no, I've asked people that. I'd be happy to do that. That's Kevin Hillier, not afraid to no, ask uh, the hard questions. No, not necessarily. Just ask the questions that they're not necessarily hard questions because they can then choose to answer them or not, and they can choose to answer yeah, them okay. however they however they want to. So if you want to say to, um, to okay, funny, uh, your reputation of being a difficult bastard to deal with, um, how do you how do you react to that? And finally, you'll answer, "Fuck off." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I in, in his best in his best Barbara Streisand voice, here he was, beautifully done. Funny, you oh, are on fire tonight. Like, it's more <laughs> like Ryan. Sophie Mark to me, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Kevin, uh, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> All right, on we go. All right, number two for Finey. All right. right, now this is an interesting one because. I'm pretty sure she's she's not the sharp tarp, sharp pardon me. I'm not not <laughs> the sharpest tool in the shed, but it would it would be more a grilling than an interview. But I'd like to interview Tonya Harding. She's on my list of the people that I I considered. Yeah, now tell me why. Well, she's obviously grown up more mature now. I mean, we know the bones of the story, but I'd love to know the level of regret. How she how she lives her life now, being portrayed as the archetypal baddie, the bad loser, the you know everybody. It, she it's actually quite interesting. I think in life we've all had rivals, whether it's at school, whether it's in business or whatever, and we've all closed our eyes on the pillows and imagined kneecapping them. <laughs> but she actually did. <laughs> she actually did it. I think I don't think there's one amongst us who hasn't. Imagined ill onto somebody just as a as, as a sort of pleasant nasty fantasy, and of course, no one really takes up on it. It's certainly not a sporting rival. I mean, it's just it's certainly not a professional sporting rival. It's certainly not for a national position on an Olympic team. It was. It's just a crazy ill concern. You know, it's now. I'm not. I'm not saying that I admire her for doing it, but she did do. What billions are fantasized about doing, and she actually did it. So I think there's a, a, a certainly an interview in it. I'm not saying she'd be a, a a brilliant respondent, but maybe she would be. And just in the off chance that she'd be, I, it only works if she's completely open to the idea and honest. You know, I I, I told you about that great interview I did with Duncan Wright where at the end of his life, the man in the Somerville incident, and for those who don't know it, it was a in the 1962 preliminary final or, or one of the finals, Essendon player Somerville is laid out cold, Duncan Wright standing over him, glowering over him. Nobody saw it, 90-odd thousand at the ground, and he's actually found guilty of striking him at the tribunal because nothing else made sense. For a long time he denied it, then he came up with a story and finally with Jeff Palmer and myself, he told the truth. Yep. And it was honestly, you know, it's unfortunately 
Essien did so much stuff at the time and I wasn't the headline act there, but that really should have been picked up by somebody as, as an amazing admission late in his life. So I would like to think that I was able to coax the rabbit out of the rabbit hole that time yep. and I might be able to coax a very interesting rabbit out of the rabbit hole with Tonya Harding. That We, we know she did it. It's not that there's a denial, but no a boyfriend was involved. But was it a crazy thought bubble that they just thought was a good idea over a few bourbons? How did it actually go from I'd like to do this to let's do this? I'd love to know the bridging. The, the the moments and the thoughts and the what actually made it real. Yeah. Well, no, I'd like to know what Rabbit was doing in the hole. <laughs> yes. That's the whole problem. Uh, Mr. Mannix. Well, this one is not about somebody that I want to root. Um, <laughs> Hallelujah. And this eyes. But, no, I just think this woman I would find very polite and very interesting. I'd I'd have her over for a dinner party, and I think I could just be fascinated by her. Um, I do a bit of research to look at her magnificent career, and it's going to surprise everybody. But I'm going to say Dame Judy Dench. Um, she does so much great acting, and um. She, She's, I've seen her on Graham Norton and she's always very witty um, and she's not afraid to speak her mind and, wow, what a magnificent career she's had. So to surprise everybody, including myself, I think Jame Duty Dench was the first one that came into my mind, which surprised me, but there you go. I saw a, a, a must have been a little highlight thing of her recent appearance on uh, Graham Norton. She was terrific. They only showed sort of a minute of it, whatever it was, but she was really good. She was really good. Yeah, look, you know, we're we're interviewing somebody, so I want to hang out with somebody that's going to inform me and you know tell me about great people she's met and how she got into this role. And um, but I think she'd also would be the sort of person that doesn't just talk about herself, she'd talk about things. And um, I just think she'd be a great person to have a couple of hours chatting to. So Jane Duty Dench for me. Well, I have a dame as well. Uh, mine's Dame Helen Mirren. I just have been fascinated and besotted and, uh, and intrigued um, and entertained uh, and engaged by this woman uh, both on screen and in, you know, Graham Norton-type interviews and talk show interviews and things I've seen her doing when she's been up presenting awards and all that sort of stuff. I just forever and a day have thought uh, from the first time I ever, I can ever remember seeing was um, she was in a movie that was made here in Australia, um, Age of Consent, um, made up on uh, the Queensland North Coast. Um, and she was nude and I was eight. I'm going, oh, my God, how good is this? Yes, and she's a spectacular body uh, and a spectacular body of work and uh, just and fun and devilish and uh, and cheeky and flirtatious and all those things. I just think she would be uh, be an interviewer's dream, Um, I would have thought. So um, she was was instantly uh, on my straight down. That's one when I... And, she, and she's done some. She's done some really interesting films too. She's done some some of the you know the arty films and all that stuff. And then she's done some Fenicum, um 
the, the trashy films. And I'd, I'd be most intrigued to see why. I mean, I would assume it's the money, but um, I'd be intrigued to uh, to see that. And she's a uh, long-term relationship. I'm not sure if she's still with the bloke she's been with forever and a day, um, Taylor Hackford. So, uh, yeah, uh, I, think she, I think she'd be fascinating. She's young beyond her age. Oh, God, yeah. And, um, yeah, she's exciting, you know. She's the sort of woman you can be married to for 30, 40 years and she, you're never going to get bored with her. No, I think that's a great call, Keith. Yeah, I think she'd be good. Uh, now, Mr Fine, third lucky last, and I, I admit I'm, I'm, you're probably the same, I've got to have 30 people on this list. No, this was a clear number one. Oh, okay. No, no daylight between first and second. Oh, okay. And amazingly, you've both gone for dames, dame, dame, and I'm third dame in a row, dame Edna. No, no, I'm the joke. <laughs> I'm not doing dame Edna average. Caitlin Jenner's close enough. No. Now, I'm going to tell you that I don't believe this interview subject ever existed, but in the off chance that she did, I would love to interview Eve. <laughs> Have I got some questions to ask? <laughs> and I don't give a tinker's cuss whether I've got an audience, whether it's an interesting interview. I'll start off with what was it like living with Adam? Tell me the story about the snake. What happened with God, the falling out with God, all very interesting. <laughs> And then we get down to the question I want to ask. Yes. There was you and Adam. Then you had two sons. Fill me in into what happened next. How did we populate the world after that one? Well, Cain killed Abel, so there's only one left. Yeah, well, what was the next kid? I don't know. Who was the father? Oh, well, exactly. And I'd be asking her, I'd be asking her this, I'd do a Ray Martin, I'd say, now there are people that would say, (laughs) you fucked the whole thing up. What's your response to that? (laughs) (laughs) There's also a report, Adam wishes he just still had his rib. Yeah, there's a lot of loose ends, Eve. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Quite frankly, when we come back from the break, Eve, <laughs> and rumours that you're your own granddaughter's mother and you're your brother's sister and you're, your auntie, <laughs> and you're your own auntie. You're More like, after the break. Yep, yep. It's Mark Fine doing Jerry Springer. Off we go. Yeah, correct. Coming up, Finey asks the hard questions. Eve, are you a mole? <laughs> oh, I did not. <laughs> yes, well, you, you, you. I didn't know what was happening. My son, Abel, just jumped on top of me. Next thing you know, we're populating the world. <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah, there's, there's a couple of chapters missing in the Bible, and Eve, you're on the, you're in the hot seat, and I'm going, I'm going to ask you some questions. So, <laughs> so I, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm on my own belief system doesn't. Behold to that version of the universe. Yeah. But, but just in case, put me down for the first interview. <laughs> fair enough. Uh, Look, fair enough. That, that's great. There's a lot of unanswered questions and I think it's about time Eve, you know, faced the music. 
Um, it'd actually be another good topic, biblical characters that you'd like to interview. Oh, because let's God. <laughs> the standard of journalism when the Bible was written, yeah, no, come on, these people are turning water into wine and getting pissed out of their freaking mind. They're not remembering what's going on probably. They don't write it for 20 years later. You know, Noah, I'd like to interview him. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, He's on my list next week. Yeah, I was going to say, Noah no may make a, an appearance next week. Who's your, who's your third one of your trilogy here, Brian? My number one, and this is not for interesting reasons, this is not for rootability reasons, um, even though Audrey, I just think she'd be very interesting. Um, I would really like to challenge Greta Thunberg. Uh, I had a feeling you'd bring her up. Um, you know, this chick spends less time in school than Yogi Bear. Um, like, you know, she, she, I'm sick of her yelling at the world and insisting that all of this shit is going to happen, whereas, you know, look, I'm happy for her to beat me in the argument, but I would like to challenge her on things. I would say what happened to the Ice Age? It was supposed to happen in 2000. You know, what happened to the Arctic ice supposed to be melting by 2008? You know, the islands are shrinking. Well, no, satellite photos show that they're actually getting bigger. Um, you know, look, I'm not saying that I'm right, but I hate the fact that this stupid 16-year-old who's just virtue signalling and, you know, creating fame for herself um, by jumping on this virtue signaling um, cause, um, nobody seems to challenge her. And I think if you went through the facts, I don't think she'd know the answers to most of it. And I would actually back myself to be able to put a pretty good case against her that, She's misled and she's wrong and then perhaps she's doing the wrong thing by scaring the shit out of a whole generation. Um, so, yeah, I would like to fuck up Greta Thunberg. Okay. Interesting. Uh, and I think that's a positive and constructive way. Yeah, to it, of well, uh, Finey said uh, Caitlin Jenner, Tonya Harding and Eve. Uh, Brian, you've gone with Audrey Hepburn, Dame Judi Dench and Greta Thunberg. There you go. Interesting. I, I have uh, Barbara Streisand, Dame Helen Mirren, and uh, I was going to make them all currently, you know, with us people, uh, but then uh, I must admit I had I had a, a trilogy of women that I would ideally love for a million reasons to interview, and that's Janis Joplin, Cass Elliott and Karen Carpenter, who I just uh, three women, great women um, no singers. Yeah, who are no longer with us. I just don't. <laughs> love it. And, and, and then. Can you imagine? Well, she's got what she got, stiff person syndrome. <laughs> she could be. She could be in that list. Um so 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 is everybody that's ever had to listen to us. Exactly. Exactly right. Um uh, thanks to Brian, I've spoken to one woman who I had who if if I hadn't have spoken to this woman, thanks to Brian, um, I uh she would have been on this list. Absolutely, Dawn Fraser. I just reckon Dawn Fraser is one of the most 
interesting, fascinating and intriguing women that this yeah. country's ever produced, not only as a sportsperson but just as a human being. Um, and fortunately I got to I got to interview her thanks to Brian because uh, he did uh, Celebrity Apprentice with her, didn't you? Was it that? Yeah. Wonderful woman. Yeah. Strong and got that good old Australian, well, we'll just push through and we'll get it done yep. attitude don't have any more, and uh, she's an inspiration. And, she, and she's I got, one, I got, I got one of a kind. I got to interview Dawn Fraser. Yep. Thanks to Jeffrey Poulter. It was fantastic. Yeah, she's great. She's fantastic. She is really brilliant. Um, I've always been always been intrigued but not that interested in Yoko Ono. Um, I'm intrigued by it. Oh, Brian. Oh. What did you oh say? Can I change my top four, top three? Yeah, I'd have Yoko Ono in there for sure. I wouldn't interview her. You know who I'd interview? May Payne. Yoko's pussy. <laughs> <laughs> Why did I bring this up? Um, I've always been intrigued and I've always wanted to know and I've never seen and I don't watch a lot of this kind of stuff on uh, on uh, Netflix and all those things. Monica Lewinsky someone who's who's intrigued me because of what happened with her, her life and the way that and that. So she's Joanna Lumley is someone who I've always been fascinated with. Um, Serena Williams. Yeah, but I don't know that it'd be a very good interview because I'm not sure that uh, that she actually. I don't know that she speaks the truth. Um, so here, here's my Serena story. Yeah, you know, after all tennis matches that in the Australian Open, the players have to do a press conference. Yeah, compulsory. And I was lucky enough for six or seven years to be one of the commentators for Australian Open Radio. And you get great access to the players. One thing about, you know, people will say, oh, what's that, C- calling tennis for the radio? Well, I'll tell you one thing, because it was done by the Australian Open, you got magnificent access to players. So I got to interview Serena Williams. It was, you know, I was just Johnny on the spot and it wasn't a press conference, it was an interview. Okay. And it was great. It was, it was just rank and file, nothing, you know, nothing special, nothing, nothing extraordinary. She obviously appreciated the questions. It was quite friendly. We had a bit of a laugh. And um, there was the time when there was somebody flashed a, a watch in her face. Remember that? Vaguely. Yeah. 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 So we had a bit of a laugh about that, et cetera, et cetera. A couple of days later, she won again. And she won the late, it was a late night game at, night game at uh, the Australian Open. So not many journalists there. And you go into the press conference afterwards after in the bowels of Rod Laver Arena. She sits down. She looks out. There's about five of us there. And knock me down with a feather if she doesn't say, hey, Mark, how are you? <laughs> and the other journos are looking, oh, my God, you know Serena Williams. <laughs> uh, and then you should have said, Noah. Yeah, well, no, he's Mark no. Fine. He's not Brian Mannix. Uh, and I'm, I'm telling you, I walked out of there ten foot tall. There was, um, you know, a couple of the, you know, a couple of the. Uh, oh God, I've forgotten his name. A famous tennis guy. We used to have great fun with him. He travelled the world covering tennis. Oh, Bud, whatever his um, name was. No, 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 the Australian. No, not Craig Gabriel. Well, no, Craig, I knew as well. He was interesting, but not my cup of tea. Yeah, um, not Tom Dorsey. No, short guy. Sadly, died of a heart attack. 
Um, I keep thinking the name Trewilliger, but it was a long name like that. Oh, hey, uh, I know who you mean. He did some golf too, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, did golf. Yes. Golf. We used to go out for dinner and stuff yeah, yeah. after. I know, I know who you're talking about too, and I can't think of his name for the life of me, but yes, you're right. I know who you mean. Gentlemen, to find out the answer, tune in to next week's show. Same bad time. The retrospective deathalyzer. <laughs> now, my my third one, and I, I've agonised over all these different women and all that, and I went, uh, thought about Martina Navratilova and um, I thought about Nadia Comaneci, Um and in the end I finished up, uh, I thought about Jana Vent, who I'd really like to, to sit down and chat to, Elle McPherson, who I'd love to sit down and chat to. Um Bet Midler, Linda Ronstadt, but I finished up in the end. I've gone with Shane Gould. Um, yeah, because um, uh, just I find it fascinating. I mean, I don't know that it'd be the most world's most riveting interview because she's not a, a particularly um, uh, sort of animated Happy. person. Uh, but uh, I think she'd be her, her story's fascinating. I mean, you, you pull the pin on your career in your early. I thought, what was she nineteen or twenty or something when she retired? Um, and had, you know, beaten the pants off everybody uh, in the world and broken every record you could possibly break and done all that stuff and then just went, oh, I've had enough, see ya. <laughs> um, and went off and uh, followed uh, followed her uh, religious beliefs and uh, went and lived on a little commune in Perth and all that sort of stuff. I think she'd be, uh, I think she'd be a fascinating person to have a chat to. She did really well on, was it Survivor or one of those SAS shows or something? Yes, yes, I think. Yeah. No, I can't remember which one it was, but you're right. You could see her resolve and her strength and everybody was saying, she's going, oh, no, don't underestimate the old chicken. I think she just about won it. I think she, um, I think she did win it, actually. Um, I think she might have. Um, maybe it was Celebrity Get Me Out of Here. I'm not sure what it was. No, but, it wasn't that one. Um, it, was, it was either SAS or or the uh, the, the, the John LaPaglia one, Jonathan LaPaglia one. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's the uh, – That's Survivor, isn't new- it? Do dancing with the celebrities, yeah, it's yes. a <laughs> That's the one you'd <laughs> like to be on, Brian. Uh, so, yeah, so there you go. There's, that's interesting. So next week we'll do the men. And, and uh, we've set the parameters now. It can be dead or alive. So um, uh, Adam getting a – I've got it. Frank Fardaniga. That's it, yes. Frank Fardaniga, yes. All right. Yes. yes. Now, just before you round off. Oh, one more thing. I've got one more thing. The gentleman, it's time for and one more thing with Mark <laughs> Fine. So, you know, we were saying you never know whether a play is going to be good or not. Brian, I think you're going to love Nate Caddy. Oh, yeah. All He's right. Do you know his dad, Funny? Golf Caddy. No, no, I saw Caddy. He was on the uh, supplementary list at um, uh, the Doggies for a little while. Um, I think, oh, I think, yeah. So there's been been some Caddies around local footy. Um, uh, and uh, is he related to Josh Caddy? Uh, uh, yes, but it's not a direct one. It, it's like a second cousin or something like that. I think. I did love Caddy Shack the movie. Yeah, it was very good. Well, yeah, make a movie about his testicles called. Caddy sack. Yeah, they'll do that one day. Yeah, it um, needs a bit of work, Brian. Yeah, <laughs> work on that one. Uh, Kevin, Riley <laughs> Sanders, Riley Sanders the Tasmanian, off to the doggies. Riley Sanders? Yep, 
Yep, yep. I thought he was uh, they were going for him or the uh, the little bloke from Oakley, wherever he's from, Watson. I think they were. Yeah, they got Riley Sanders. There you go. And of course, Jordan Croft. Yes, uh, Matthew's son, who I met, I met him twice, and he was six inches taller the second time I met him than he was the first time. Uh, Crofty, what's happened to your son? He went, oh, you get a little growth spurt. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, Ross Winkler, who's been drafted by the Crows, seven foot four, expected to be one of the greatest ruckmen in the game's history. So good luck to the Crows. Is that the same made up name that? you used last time? <laughs> Who was that? That's Crofty Winkler. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Another one of Brian's made up names that he's got. Yeah, all made up names. Um, All right, well, that's it, boys. Uh, Enjoy your week. Next week, uh, the three men you'd most like to interview. You bet. Looking forward to it. And another and another scorpion. What do you have? What do you get, Mr. Entwistle, to do? On you going to get another scorpion, or is you going to do something else? Oh, but I've got tattoo. I've got tattoo today. I'm getting tattooed tomorrow. I'm getting tattooed Wednesday. I'm getting tattooed Saturday. I'm getting tattooed Monday. I'm getting tattooed Tuesday. Jesus Christ. Yeah, he's one of my three interviews. And mine, just just in case. Mine is fading with every shower. (laughs) Of course it is. All right, boys, have a good week. We'll talk to you next week. Rock on. Thank you, fellas. Good night, John Boy. You've just experienced rock and roll. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Facebook.